0: Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 27, says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And Father, we ask for just the gracious help of your Holy Spirit, as we open the word of God, we want to continue in our worship of you. And Lord, we ask that you'd give us attentive hearts and minds, that you'd prepare us, that our hearts could be that fertile soil to receive the seed of your word that gives life to our hearts. Lord, speak to us your truth. Let it replace the lies in our hearts, in our minds, and in this world. And we ask you would strengthen us through your word. And that you would speak to us something personal and direct and powerful in each and every one of our lives. Give us an ear to hear and bless and speak to us now through the ministry of your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what is the best thing to do if you feel like you're about to faint? And when I ask that question, I am not referring specifically to fainting literally. But what about if you're about to faint spiritually? I think sometimes if we are honest with ourselves, despite the kind of outward appearance we like to give to one another that there are times when even as God's people we kind of have fainting fits and we find ourselves wearied and maybe about to faint spiritually to stumble and, and under the load in some way where we feel like that we're about to sort of just faint spiritually. Well, I think the text in front of us gives us some good guidance regarding that reality. Isaiah chapter 40, though we haven't been studying the book of Isaiah together at this present moment, if you're familiar with it, Isaiah 40 is really a chapter thematically that's about the greatness of God, particularly as well the greatness of God in comparison to the weakness of man, the greatness of God in contrast to the weakness and feebleness of humanity in fact if you just glance with me through the chapter for example in verse 12 speaking of God it says of God God who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and measured the heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in measure again what do we say there's some 70 percent of the earth that 's covered in water, imagine the bodies of water, the oceans, the seas all the, and again trying to just in an anthropomorphic way, again, trying to describe God in human terms that we can picture or relate to. He says, we have a God who all those waters that seem so vast and immeasurable he says, who can measure those waters and in the, in the tiny hollow of a person 's hand he says, all that would fit there. The idea is that 's how large, how great, how magnanimous the hand of our god is he says this same god who can measure the heavens with the span well the span is from your thumb to your pointer finger there and so god did, but how big is everything you created god's oh, it's about that big and the idea there is just to try and envision in our minds not in a literal sense but how great and powerful the God that we serve is, especially in comparison to us and humanity. He says there over in verse 15 that the nations to God are like a drop in the bucket. They're counted as the small dust on the scales. So again, these great and powerful nations that boast great things and flex their muscles—again, from God's perspective, they're like the, the fine dust on a scale. God could just, with one breath, just give a blow and and just disintegrate everything that exists in its uh, existence because of how great He is in comparison. Verse 22 and 23. Look there regarding God. It says that He is the one who sits above the circle of the earth. And all of the world's inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Now I don't know if that means the inhabitants of the world kind of really bug God on occasion. And I'm sure we do, uh, no pun intended. But from God's perspective, again, you know, like little grasshoppers, you know, that God is so great in comparison to creatures, to his creation. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out. Like a tent, he brings princes, verse 23, to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Verse 25, God then speaks first person, to whom then will you liken me? God says, can you find any comparison? Is there anyone like me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. And that's certainly something that we all need to do on occasion to get our eyes off the horizontal to put our eyes back upon the vertical. God says, lift up your eyes on high. Get your eyes on me, the Lord says. See who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. So again, even speaking of all the uh, stellar uh, bodies the stars and so forth and the solar systems that exist and, and how many we you know believe into the billions of stars that are in existence and yet notice it says here regarding God and, and and those things it says he brings out the host by their number God has every one of them numbered we have no idea how many but God knows the exact number of each of them because he's created them and not only does he know their number But it actually says he calls them by name. That's a lot of names to keep track of. Would you agree? You know, I was at a funeral yesterday and and people, hi, my name is so-and-so. And And 30 seconds later, I'm thinking, I have no idea idea who that person is. And that was just a few people. And to think that God has that capacity, you know, all these stars, he knows them by name, which kind of, I guess, defeats the purpose of you know, these uh, things where you can pay money and name a star after somebody. Uh, it's really it's not, not its real name. It sounds romantic if you want to do that for somebody, but uh, every star, apparently, God already knows its name. It, it has a name, it has a number, and by the greatness of His might, He's controlling all those things. Now, despite the reality of the greatness of God, which chapter 40 is trying to emphasize in this portion of Scripture, which we can and should therefore rely upon God because of his greatness, sometimes, if we're willing to be honest, we all still grow weary in our humanity and as we're navigating our way through this difficult, fallen world. And as a result, we sometimes then become concerned with how we're going to make it on the journey that we're on or the things that we're facing in our lives. Well, this is what our text addresses for us, that despite the greatness of God that we should rely upon and should encourage us, that we still at times slip gears and have our fainting fits. And because of that, God here addresses some of those things. Look in verse 27. God, again, is speaking here in the first person now through Isaiah the prophet. And the first thing that God says here in our text is he asks a question to the people of God, the people of Israel. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? And God says, why are you saying my just claim? It's, it's being passed over by my God. So God apparently saw that the people, notice, were struggling and losing heart under the heavy circumstances that they were going through at the time. God was perceiving the weight that they were under and he saw that in their weariness and in their time of weakness they were beginning to do what here? We see they were beginning to question the awareness and the involvement of God in their everyday lives and the things that they were going through in their struggles. That's why in verse 27 God says, I hear what you're saying. He says, I hear that you are saying things like my way is hidden from the Lord. God doesn't see what's going on in my life it seems like. It doesn't seem like he's even aware of what's happening to me. And he says, and why as well are you saying, and if that weren't enough, it just seems that God's not even interested, that my just claim is, is just passed over by God. So the people were saying, God's not seeing. He doesn't seem to be aware of the heavy load that I'm under and what I'm going through. And if that weren't enough, it seems as well that even if he is, that he stopped listening to my plea for help. And he's not even paying attention to my situation. It's almost as if he's not interested. He says that my just claim is passed over by my God. Now, that term claim there should bring to mind, you know, we, we talk about insurance claims today. Have you ever, you know, submitted a claim for something? and it seems like it's just being passed over and ignored, and you're thinking, Mike, what does it take to get somebody's attention to stop ignoring my claim to address, this is a legitimate claim, this is a legitimate thing that I'm submitting, and nobody will pay attention to my just legitimate claim. And it's a very disheartening, discouraging thing when you feel like it exists, but it's just being ignored and passed over. And sometimes, when we struggle in life, we can feel, and I stress the word feel, or we can think in our minds that somehow either God is not aware or worse, that maybe God's even just kind of ignoring our situation, that he's passing over a just and legitimate claim for some need or help in our life. And our despairing thoughts then give birth to untrue statements regarding God. And that's what's happening here with these people. They're saying things like, it doesn't seem like God's paying attention. He must not even care what I'm going through or why is God overlooking what's happening in my life and and why is he not doing anything to help me? And the normal tendency for many of us as well, if we're honest, is that when we're under pressures in life and we're going through a difficulty and maybe some hardship in your life, whatever it may be, is that sometimes that gives birth to wrong perceptions about God and what's going on in our lives. And sometimes those wrong perceptions cause us to question things like God's care and God's concern for us and God's desire to be involved in our situation to help us. For example, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 38, Jesus is with the disciples and he says to them, let us cross over to the other side. They get in the boat together and as they're beginning to journey across the water... It says that they took Jesus along. He's in the boat with them. He instructed them to go to the other side. And Mark 4 says that after a little while, a great windstorm arose. The waves beat into the boat and it was filling up with water. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, they legitimately felt like that. They were in a windstorm. Everything was looking like the, sick, the ship was going to sink. And Jesus was sleeping. They're struggling and straining to keep afloat. And he's right there in their midst. And he's resting and completely asleep. And they wake him up. And the perception in their mind is, it seems like you don't care. So they add, don't you care? Now, I'm sure you've never asked God that question before, right? I'm sure we're all too spiritual to have ever kind of, if we didn't say it outwardly, thought in our mind, God, don't you care? Don't you care what I'm going through? Why does it seem like you're sleeping when I need you to to be active or involved or to change this or to help in that way? And again, as I said, when we're under pressure, sometimes there's just a weakness in our humanity to be tempted to start to have wrong perceptions about God, to question whether he cares, to wonder why he's not involved. Listen, the reality in that story was this that ship could not sink because Jesus was on board with them. And Jesus said, if they would have remembered what he said, let us cross over to the other side. Listen, all they needed to do was just stay on board with Jesus. As long as they stood on board with Jesus, it didn't matter what they were thinking or feeling and what it looked like, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. All they needed to do was just stay on board. But the questions were raging. Again, Luke chapter 10 is another example where the story of Martha and Mary and Jesus visits them. And as he's there, Martha welcomes him into her house, if you remember. And as Martha welcomes him into the house, she had a sister named Mary who was sitting at the Lord's feet. But Martha said was distracted with much serving. She was the busy person. That was her personality. She couldn't sit still. She wasn't an idle person. She had to do, 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 do. And she found her fulfillment in doing, 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 doing. And that was her sense of, I'm not fulfilling something unless I'm doing something. That was her temperament. Well, ultimately, she begins to get overwhelmed as she feels like she's doing all the work and she's watching Mary (laughs) sit at the feet of Jesus and drink in a wonderful Bible study and have good fellowship with the Lord. And she started to get bitter and angry. And remember, what did she awesomely do? It says she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. So what, Lord, don't you care? Don't, don't you see that I'm doing all the work here and nobody else is doing anything? I'm the one that's dealing with all the hardship and the, the heavy load of it. And Lord, don't you care? Why would you, why would you let this happen to me? How could you let me bear all this burden when nobody else wants to lift a finger in the process? And, and then she even, not only does she question, she even gets a little demanding. She starts telling Jesus, look, you need to rebuke her rebuke her tell her to get over here and help me to pick up a dish towel and to do some work and again there's that same thing again we're under pressure in the heavy load the wrong perceptions begin to come and let's be real we've all been guilty at times when under pressure of wrongly thinking or falsely accusing god like those individuals like these individuals lord is my way hidden from you don't you see aren't you aware and worse lord don't you care Aren't you going to get involved? Why do you just seem to like pass over my file and keep taking everybody else's file on, but it seems you keep putting my case on the side of your desk and addressing everybody else's around me? And isn't that disheartening when you feel like everybody else's just claim is being addressed by God and you feel like everybody else's file is open on God's desk and he's actively working through the bullet points and you're thinking, well, why is mine sitting over there collecting dust? What's going on, Lord? And we've all been guilty of that. So God challenges that here as he sees it going on with his people, by saying, notice, why do you say these things? God challenges their doubtful, hopeful mindset, because the truth is this, and this is what we need to remember, let God be true, and every man a liar. The truth of God is this, everything in life and creation, God is aware of. And God cares about everything that exists and everyone that exists. That's what the truth is. He sees everything. Job 34.21 says, For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. Do you hear that? God sees all our steps. God doesn't just check in on you once in a while. You know, like a parent who lets the kids go outside and play or whatever, and we're busy doing what we're doing, and every once in a while we peek out the kitchen window to make sure they're still alive and they haven't killed each other out there. We just check in once in a while, see what they're doing. No, God loves you so much. He is so intimately involved and aware and you matter to him so much. Every step you take, every step he's paying attention to you. He's completely aware and more than that, he cares about you and humanity greatly. Jesus said the father is aware when even one sparrow falls to the ground. One bird. When a bird dies and falls to the ground, oh, there goes another little sparrow. And then Jesus says, aren't you of much more value to our Father in heaven? So again, the exact opposite of what we think is often what the truth is. And despite how incredibly busy God may be, he loves us tremendously and he is aware of every detail. Despite what we're thinking or feeling, the truth is he does care He is aware and he wants to be involved in our every way detail. So what does God do here? As he sees this going on with the people of God, he does what? He seeks to take their focus on what it was on and put their focus back on himself. Notice what he does, go with me in verse 28. God then says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The point that God is bringing them to here is this, that God, unlike people, has no limitations. There is nothing that hinders or restricts God. He begins by telling the people here in verse 28, struggling with this, that they needed to recall and reflect upon who he was as God what his nature is, and, and, and really what they already knew about God and what they had already seen and heard about God. The idea, have you not known, have you not heard, in other words, God is saying, listen, I'm not telling you something new. These are things you already know about me. It's just under the load that you're under and the cloudy vision that you've gotten. You've, you know these things, you've got to remind yourself of these things. You've seen these things before. They were clear to you at one time before. But he says, now he says, you need to remember them once again to reflect upon them. Again, remembering God's attributes can always renew our outlook. So often in our lives, it's, just, it's a perspective thing. We need to reflect once again. So God reminds them here. He says, look, let's, let's walk through this. Let's reflect again. What you already know, he refers to himself in a number of ways. First of all, verse 28, he calls himself the everlasting God. The everlasting God. That means that he is timeless. That he has been in existence for all of time and eternity. He has been around before anything physical in creation or any creature. And he will outlast all things. There is nothing that therefore means that God has not seen God has not experienced, God is not familiar with, and God has not, in a sense, faced at one time before. He's the everlasting God. He has seen, experienced, and is familiar with every problem, every hardship, every challenge, every tragedy, every trial, in every form and fashion because He's the everlasting God who spans all things. He is the beginning and the end Anything that we go through personally, God is already familiar with experientially because guess what? He's already taken 10, 15, 100 other people through the exact same thing that you're going through in your experience in some form or fashion. So unlike people who we often look to in times of trouble, God is greatly experienced in all matters of life. The fact that he's the everlasting God is a great consolation to me because when I'm going through something and it's the first time for me and it's unfamiliar territory and it's over my ability to handle and I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I've never been in this spot before. God says, no problem. Do you know how many times I've been in this situation before? Do you know how many people have been in this situation before? And I've navigated them all successfully. Well, you just keep your eyes on me. You stay on board with me. I've been in these kind of storms before. I've been in these situations before. And the fact that he's an everlasting God, he's an experienced God with all things and can help us in the midst of those things. Secondly, he says not only is he the everlasting God, but he just says the Lord. And that's the Hebrew Tetragrammaton, the YHVH, Yahweh or Jehovah. And the word there, the Lord, in all caps, literally means in Hebrew the all-sufficient one or the all-becoming one, which indicates to us this, whatever we may need, God becomes. He's the all-becoming one. So do you need provision? God will become your provision. Jehovah Jireh. Do you need protection? God will become your protection. He'll be your shield. He'll be Jehovah Nisi, the Lord your banner over you. Do you need peace? God will be your peace. He won't just give you peace, He can be your peace. And whatever we need, God literally becomes for us. He's very resourceful. Very resourceful. He is the all-becoming one, the all-sufficient one. Thirdly, he calls himself the creator of the ends of the earth. Again, reminding them what? That God created everything that exists and he's the controller of all of his creation and everything that exists in the physical world. Which reminds us, again, that whatever is challenging to me is under God's control. Because he's the creator of the ends of the earth. He created everything and he's sustaining and controlling everything. I think a great illustration of that again is the other occasion when Jesus' his disciples were in a storm and he was not with them. And in the midst of the storm, they were in the middle of a storm and they were in the center of the will of God. Again, he put them into the boat. He told them to go over to the other side, that he'd meet them over there. They go riding along and in the midst of that, boom, this horrible storm blows up. And they're no doubt thinking, oh my goodness, we're going we're gonna to perish. And where were they? they? were right in the center of the will of God. It wasn't that Jesus missed the forecast. Again, please, you have to remember that. It wasn't, oh man, I should have tuned to them. Oh, I sent them out there. I, oh, I should have paid attention. I didn't know they were going to get caught in that storm. Listen, there may be times when you are in a storm in troubled seas and you are right in the center of the will of the Lord. And quite honestly, you may be in greater jeopardy if you were safe and dry and comfortable on the shore than you would be right in the center of the most stormy sea if that's where the Lord intends for you to be in that moment. Because things happened when they were in that sea. What happened? Jesus went walking on the water out to them, said, peace, be still. Everything goes silent miraculously. He exercises his power over creation And they said, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And they saw something about Jesus they wouldn't have saw if they were safe and comfortable. They saw something in the midst of their trial and tragedy about Jesus they would have never seen any other way. Because that was the place they were to be. And again, here in the midst of that storm as they were in it, as the creator and the controller of all creation, what did they see? What was over their heads right the storm the waves what was over their heads it was all under the feet of Jesus because he was walking on top of the very thing that was seeming like it was over their heads and going to destroy them he calls himself as well not only the creator of the ends of the earth but the one it says here in verse 28 who neither faints nor is weary now I love that about God I can't relate to it (laughs) Because it's not my existence in my temporal flesh. But unlike human beings, listen, God is unable to get tired. God never gets wearied. His energy and power is limitless. Psalm 62, 11 says power belongs to God. Nothing, unlike us, nothing ever weakens God. Nothing can weaken God. Nothing can tire God out. Even your worst times of rebellion, when you're a stink." And you backslide and rebel and do the most foolish things, and you're thinking, "Man, I must have really wore the Lord out. You know, His patience—he must just be so done with me." Listen, God, God doesn't even get weary of our rebellion. He keeps loving, and He keeps waiting, and He keeps graciously waiting to draw us in. Nothing can weary God because God has no fatigue factor. Now that's hard to relate to because humanly, that's not us. But we serve a God who never faints. He's never weary. He goes on to say as well, verse 28, and his understanding is unsearchable, meaning he understands and is aware of everything. He's all-knowing, yet his ways are beyond our human understanding because we have finite minds. That's why his ways are, it says, beyond our understanding. They're unsearchable. The way he works and how he understands and is working in a situation, it's unsearchable to us because we try and look into it. I don't understand, Lord. How does this line up? And why is this happening? And why did this happen? And Lord, what are you doing here? And we're trying to figure it out with our minds. And somehow we convince ourselves, and listen, it's a great error, don't, don't torture yourself, that we are entitled to have the answer why to every question. Can I liberate you? No, we're not. No, we're not. Job went through horrendous things, probably worse than any of us may ever experience compounding when you look at all he went through in his life at one time, and he asked the question why repeatedly, and God never answered it. God never... Now, when we get on the other side of the veil of eternity... We're going to say, righteous and true are all your ways. I think every question will be answered then. But God's ways and what's happening and how he's working, it's unsearchable. What God is doing and how he may be working, we may not be able to discover it. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I may not understand how God is working but he most definitely is. He is, because it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Which means this for us. Sometimes when we're struggling with life, we need to stop, in a sense, focusing on the outlook. Just stop focusing on the outlook. I know for me sometimes, man, I I can sabotage myself mentally and spiritually and just become so wearied in looking at the outlook with the natural eye could see. And God says, look, get your eyes off the outlook. It's time to go back to the up look. You've got to look up. You've got to get your eyes back off of yourself and off of what you see and put your eyes and consider God. He says, consider who your God is. Remember again his greatness. That's the idea there that God is trying to redirect their attention. Verse 29, it says regarding this great, powerful God, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the all-sufficient one who's never weary. Verse 29, this powerful God, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. So notice, not only does God possess incredible miraculous power beyond our comprehension, but this almighty, powerful God will impart, it says here, His power to us in our human need, in our human weakness and deficiencies that are so great. What a great promise, verse 29 here, to ponder and to trust in expectantly that this God of power gives power to the weak, And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Hey, this morning, again, I can't know what's going on in everyone's life perfectly. Is there something in your life that's wearying you? Are you weak and and find yourself, in a sense, again, lacking power for something? Lord, I just don't have the power. I don't know how I'm going to do this, Lord. I don't know how I'm going to keep going on. I just feel wearied. I'm worn out. Lord, I'm ready to faint. I, I'm about to falter. Maybe I already have faltered. And, and, and Lord, I just, I just don't have the stamina for one more step. I just don't have it anymore. Can't find it, Lord. Well, listen, what a great promise to ponder that God says that he gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Look over in Isaiah 41, just down in the 10th verse. Listen to what God says because maybe it's what He would say to you if you are weak this morning. Maybe this is God's word for you personally. Isaiah 41.10 God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, as you look at verse 29 there, please don't miss, God gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. I think sometimes the problem, and I'm speaking from personal experience, of why we don't receive God's power is because we're too strong. I have this jotted in my notes here so I wouldn't forget to say it. I think one of the greatest barriers to the Holy Spirit is the human spirit. Amen. Is this indomitable human spirit? And let me go one step further. And in this American culture, our bravado, we're success-driven, we're goal-oriented. Many other cultures, you know, they're, they're people-oriented and goal-oriented, but not in America. We're accomplishers, we're achievers, we're mighty, we're powerful, we'll put us on any barrier, we'll tackle it. And and that translates itself into whenever we face challenges and trials, no, I got this, stiff upper lip, stiff upper lip. And we train our kids that way, and we live out our lives that way. Listen, there's nothing, I'm not saying that we should be, you know, live weak and cowardly and quit and give up on everything. I think there's a place for faithfulness, there's a place for faithfulness. But I find in my life that many a times it is the human spirit that is one of the greatest barriers to the Holy Spirit. It's that self-sufficiency, that independent spirit, that, that tendency of just uh, of being so self-reliant and so determined and so stubborn to just press forward. I can take it, load it on and just keep going. That makes us many a times, God says, look, I can't strengthen you. You're too strong still. I can't show you my strength because you're too strong still. So I have to wait until you get a little weaker. Maybe you've got to weary yourself a little more. That's when you get weak enough, then you'll want my strength. Then you'll realize you need my strength and then ultimately you will rely on and I can then do for you with my strength and power what I want to do. Wasn't this the case for the Apostle Paul where, where I think this was Paul's you know, situation. And the Lord put that thorn in his flesh and it says he pleaded with the Lord three times, Lord, take it away from me, take it away from me. So Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. And Paul said, wow, if these things be true, then he says, therefore, I'm going to boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because he says, I found out that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, the world doesn't need more of me. My family doesn't need more of me. The church obviously doesn't need more of me. The world needs more of Jesus. It needs more of the Lord. And where he is revealing himself by his power working in us. And man, I tell you, I look at my Christian experience, I've been saved since 1992, and I realize how many things in my life that I thought were actually strengths that God could use, that I find out that all the things that I thought were strengths that God could use, he showed me raw weaknesses. And as soon as I start to think something I maybe it might be a strength or something God can use and I become aware of this maybe this is something God could use in my life God says mm, that's the next thing on my menu then. <laughs> yeah that's that's the next thing on my menu because that's the problem is I want to give power to you but you're too strong. I want to show you my strength but somehow you're, you're so self-reliant and so many times in our lives I think this becomes a big challenge. He wants to give us his power but he wants us to be dependent to realize our weakness, to recognize it, to admit it, to take ownership of it so that we can then experience his miraculous power and realize where it came from. Look what he says, verse 30 going on. He says, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Again, the idea here, again, is is everyone has limitations. You know, young people, youth, lots of energy and zeal and zest. You know, they got way more stamina. As you get older, you say, man, I wish I still had that energy. I wish I still had that stamina to to keep going. and and, and, And God says, you know what? everyone, every person that exists, they all have times of limitation and weakness, even the strongest and best that this world can provide, he says, they still at times fail under the load. Even youths, even young, and and listen, let me say this in relation to that, for those of us who are, are older, for those of us who have children, listen, we need to realize sometimes the world wears out our kids. And they're carrying problems too and difficulties and challenges as well. And our young people, oh, what, what are you? what's so big, what, what, what's the matter? Listen, they're carrying a load too. Yeah. And we need to realize that they at times feel weak and feel wearied and at times are going to stumble under the load of life. And we need to extend a little grace to them and realize as well that everybody at times Has times of weakness where we get maybe physically exhausted. Jesus in John 4 sat down at the well of Samaria and it says he was weary. Jesus got physically wearied. There are times of physical weariness and exhaustion. Emotionally being overwhelmed. Hebrews 12 speaks of being weary and discouraged in the soul. How about being just mentally drained or again spiritually just again fainting and just tempted. 2 Samuel 16 says David and his men became weary. 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, it says, got overwhelmed and tired in his ministry, and he got depressed and discouraged. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, that Paul the apostle said, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap a harvest if we don't give up. Again, thank you, Paul, let us. Again, Paul could have said, come on, stop getting so weary. What's the matter with you? Aren't you a super Christian like me? What are you all weary for? What's the matter with you? Paul, let us not grow weary. See, sometimes we're going to experience weariness and have fainting fits and even stumble and fall. And can I say this to you this morning? Don't feel condemned. Don't feel ashamed because you get worn out and tired. Don't feel ashamed because you have fainting fits and struggle and wrestle in those. Perhaps there is a lesson, even in that, that God has for you. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 10. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, that of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not, listen, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. Paul says, there was a time, listen, he says, I want to be honest with you, we, we just despaired of life. That almost sounds suicidal, doesn't it? I don't want to read into the text. But despairing of life is a pretty strong word. But he says, God took us to that place so that we might learn Not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in God, who can raise people back from dead. This lesson that often comes even in the midst of these very times. Verse 30 and 31, he says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall. Look what he says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Here we see the way, notice in verse 31 now, we see the way to experience God's power. Yeah, I'm weak. Lord, I I, I need your strength. I need your power. Well, how do we experience God's power in times of weariness? Well, the Bible says it comes through seeking Him personally. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And that word wait there, it's not a term that speaks of waiting in the sense of like sitting idle, waiting for a bus at a bus stop. That word wait there literally means to attend to, to have hope and expectation upon and to give attention to. Again, notice, wait on the Lord. If I can illustrate in this way, maybe it'll connect the dots in your mind. You go to a restaurant. My two, of my, my two older daughters, they work as waitresses okay waitresses wait on people do you understand where i'm going with that they attend to their desires they seek to do what pleases them we are to wait on the lord to wait on the lord is an active thing it's not just waiting for the lord well i'll just wait for the lord to do something i'm just going to wait for the lord and, and be you know no wait on the lord in the midst of it while you're waiting be seeking the lord be be serving the Lord, be be looking to him in expectation. That word wait, when you look at it in the Hebrew, it literally as well can be translated, that term wait in the Hebrew, to intertwine or to bind two things together. Now I find that interesting because what it's saying is how do we wait on the Lord? By intertwining our life with his life. And in every way that we can, that we know how, embracing him, because Jesus said to us in Mark ten. With men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Again, with God, that's the determining factor. With men, it's impossible, but if you get your life joined up with God, if you embrace and entwine your life with God in every way, he says, then the impossible becomes possible. Because with God, things become possible because of his presence and the power that he brings to the situation as we're waiting upon him. Jesus said, remain in me that you may bear much fruit. And he said, apart from me you can do nothing. Again, staying connected, waiting on the Lord, seeking the Lord, looking to the Lord expectantly, pursuing him. And again, what are practical ways to abide in Jesus, to remain in the Lord? Well, spending time with the Lord, getting in his word, praying, seeking the Lord, waiting on him. Making priority on, Lord, I need to spend time in worship. I need to be in meetings with God's people. I need to wait upon you and be in your presence and be in your midst to receive the benefits of you. Notice, what's the promise for those who wait on the Lord? He shall They shall renew their strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That word renew there, the term in the Hebrew, literally means to Exchange. Now, this is phenomenal. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength or exchange their strength. What it's saying to us is this. The word means to receive something new in place of what you had. What he's saying is that as we seek the Lord and we wait upon the Lord, an exchange of strength takes place. We, in a sense, give God our weakness and his strength and power replaces the shortfall in my power. And he says, you give me your weakness and I'll give you my strength. That's what it means there when it says he renews our strength. He supplies what I don't have through fresh batches of his strength. Paul said, Philippians 4, I can do all things, what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Ephesians 3, Paul says, being strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man. And as the Lord strengthens us with his power and renews our strength through his renewing strength, what are the results? It says, they shall then mount up with wings like eagles, soar from a higher perspective and see things differently from a higher perspective like an eagle would. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Again, please note something here. Do you see something in the progression that almost seems backwards to the human thinking? I would think that when the Lord renews our strength and, and invigorates us with his power, that the progression would be walk, then run, then soar. Right? Kind of like a Superman thing. You start out walking, and then you run, and you soar. I would think that those who are renewed by God's strength would walk and not be faint, and then run and not be weary, and then take off and just soar like eagles. But the Bible puts it in the reverse. God says, those who wait upon the Lord and have their strength renewed, yes, when it's necessary, God will help them to soar through a crisis and he will give them the stamina to run the race. But most importantly, he will give them his power and daily grace to walk through the challenges of everyday life plodding along and keep walking and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Listen to what Warren Wearsby said. This is a great quote. He said this, As we wait before him, God enables us to soar when there is a crisis, to run when challenges are many, and to walk faithfully in day-by-day demands of life. It is much harder to walk in the ordinary pressures of life than to fly like an eagle in a time of crisis. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The greatest heroes of faith are not always those who seem to be soaring. Often it is those who are just patiently plodding. As we wait on the Lord, He enables us not only to fly higher and run faster, but also to walk longer. Blessed are the plotters, for they eventually arrive at their destination. You know, this morning, perhaps you're wearied in the walk. Maybe the answer is not straining ahead to keep going. Maybe, just maybe, the answer is actually a call of God to step back and to stop what you are doing so that you can seek the Lord and wait upon the Lord to let him renew your strength. You know, if I can illustrate with one final illustration When times get tough in businesses, when times become tough in businesses, necessary cutbacks happen. Correct? I think what happens in one of the greatest mistakes that people make, especially God's people in our lives, one of the greatest errors we make is when life gets tough and things overwhelm us and challenges are upon us, we sense that we need to make cutbacks but we make cutbacks in the wrong department. And so we cut God out of our life because we're bitter and we just have a wrong perception and the hardship. Or we cut God out of our life because we're so overwhelmed and tired and busy. I just, I, I just don't have time for my devotions anymore. I, I just don't have time for you know, church anymore. I, just, I, I, just, I got a lot going on. And we make necessary cutbacks because we're in a, we're in a, a hard time. But can I encourage you? Make cutbacks in the right departments. Instead of cutting God out of your life, the Bible says, no, wait on the Lord and you'll renew your strength. And you'll be reinvigorated to walk through that, to run with stamina and to soar in the midst of what your faith is.